Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Ritman Grace Podcast. Our church's vision is to have a passion for God and compassion for people. We hope that the teachings in this podcast will encourage you as you seek to follow Christ and grow in your faith. Now, let's get into today's message. Well, good morning. Ritman Grace Brother Church. Hope everybody is having a good weekend. Uh, my name is Clark, and I'm the pastor here. And if we haven't met yet, love to meet you and your family after service. Uh, feel free to stick around in the lobby. And if we have met, I'd love just to connect with you and see how things are going. Well, we are in a sermon series called the Sermon on the Mount, and we actually kind of hit pause the past couple weeks because we had some missionaries come one week, and we had uh, a guest speaker. So hopefully you enjoyed that and didn't have to look at my face for a couple weeks. Uh, but we are going to resume our sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount this morning. So, uh, by the way, if you've missed any of the past week messages uh, during this sermon series, you can always go to our webpage, uh, RitmanGrace.org, and you can access all of our past week's sermon messages, and we'd love to serve you in that way. Uh, so we're continuing today, and what Jesus wants to talk to us about this morning is what we treasure. So that's where we're headed this morning. In fact, let me just uh, start out uh, with the question as we get started here. When we're thinking about treasure, when we're thinking about things that we hold dear to us, um, maybe ask yourself, what do you treasure? What is it that you treasure? What are some things uh, that you value? Some things that you hold dear? Uh, what do you place a high value on or significance on? Uh, maybe for some of you, um, when you think about what you treasure, your treasure may be material things. It may be something tangible. Others of us, when we think about what we treasure, it might be something that's intangible. Uh, maybe for you, it's things like your reputation. Maybe it's your autonomy. Uh, maybe it's your personal freedom. Uh, maybe for some of us, your treasure is a relationship or an individual. Uh, for each and every one of us, the common denominator that we all share is uh, we sit here this morning is that they are things that we value. They're things that we prize and things that we hold dear. In fact, I, th I think this starts at an early age in a lot of us. Uh, even the youngest of children have things that they treasure, things that they usually um, hold dear. They're sweet, enduring things. However, my three-year-old son, uh, Luca, he actually, we were at the grocery store shopping the other day, and as many of you know, um, when a kid tends to grab things and put it in the cart, it's really hard uh, to put them back sometimes. Um, well, our son, he grabs this giant chocolate advent calendar. I mean, this thing is just like ridiculously big. And he puts it in the shopping cart. And so, uh, needless to say, we became the not-so-proud owners of a holiday Santa winter country advent calendar from Costco, which was way overpriced, by the way. But right now, this advent calendar is his dearest possession on the earth. And you know how this goes with kids that age, right? Every day he's talking about it and he says, Clarky, right? Because he doesn't say dad. He says, Clarky, you have my chocolate calendar? And I just look at him and I go, buddy, yeah, I got it. Next month, we'll get it out and we'll start it. And uh, so anyway, he's just, he has me get it out of the basement sometimes just so that he knows that his chocolate advent calendar is safe. Why tell you that? Do I just like talking about my kid's chocolate advent calendar? 
Well, yes and no. Here's why I share that. That thing is sort of wired into us. Things that we hold dear to us, uh, things that we treasure, possessions at a young age. But what I know about that to be true uh, for, for me and you is that that's still part of us as we grow into adulthood. We still value, we still treasure, we still hold things, uh, certain things dear to us, especially in America, uh, especially when it comes to wealth, when it comes to material goods. We have amassed more treasure than most people, haven't we? I read somewhere that since 1800, our standard living in America has increased 2,500%. Jesus' words in this section that we're going to look at this morning on the Sermon on the Mount they are kind of oddly precise. Uh, we Americans are literally storing up our treasure. Uh, there are 53,000 self-storage facilities in the United States of America. There's enough square footage of storage space where we rent space to put our stuff. There's enough square footage space where every man and woman and child could go into self-storage in America. You could actually stand in all of the square footage and everyone in America could fit. That's how sideways we are when it comes to storing up our treasure. So needless to say, Jesus' words that we're going to look at today, uh, this morning, they have some weight, don't they? And you might say, okay, I agree with what you're saying. We live in an affluent country, but I can't possibly serve money because I don't have any. I have to have some money in order to serve it, right? Well, Jesus would say not so fast. Uh, two things that we need to keep in mind. First of all, uh, we do have some. Um, I read somewhere, I think it's probably higher than this, but 10% of the world's population lives on less than $2 a day. So if we're planning on spending more than 2 bucks today, we're probably in the top percentage as far as affluence goes. But then secondly, you don't have to have money in order for it to have power over you. The fact that you don't have it doesn't mean that it doesn't have power over you. According to American Psychological Association, money is, money is, is the number one stressor in the United States. More people are stressed about money than anything else, including family, work, relationships, everything. So maybe for some of us, we came in here this morning stressed about money. Maybe you paid the bills like I did this week and you saw a lot of money go out the door that sort of goes to meet your obligations. And then maybe you had a car trouble experience this week. Uh, maybe that happened and something broke down and you had an unexpected expense. And maybe you feel like you're behind the snowball of debt and, and you can't just catch up. You can't get ahead. Well, our possessions, our money, our wealth... What we're going to learn today is that they exert a power over us. And as we open up God's Word, I think we're going to discover that to be true. Jesus, in this section of the Sermon on the Mount, He wants you to understand the power of what you treasure. And so I want us to look at three things this morning. Jesus is going to show us three things about our treasures. He's going to show us, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Your treasures orient your heart. He's going to show us your treasures darken your eye. And then finally, we're going to see that your treasures demand your worship. Your treasures orient your heart. They darken your eye. They demand your worship. So let's look at that first heading uh, together. Your treasures orient your heart. Well, here's what we like to think a lot of times. We like to think that we decide what's going to be important to us. 
uh, that we choose as rational people what we're going to care about. And then we invest our time, we invest our money, and we invest our resources into that thing. So we like to think that we are these moral actors who decide something and then invest ourselves into it. And so we would say, by and large, that our treasures follow our heart. But Jesus, what he's going to say this morning is actually the exact opposite. He's going to say that your heart follows your treasure. So if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. That's where we're going to be this morning. And if you want to follow along on those Bibles that are in the chairs you're sitting in, it's going to be found on page 685. But Matthew chapter 6, we're going to break in right at verse 21. Here's what Jesus has to say. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is one of the most profound and revolutionary things that Jesus said. Whatever you trust, whatever you value, whatever you prize and hold dear, whatever your treasure, that has a way of orienting your heart, your life, is going to flow in that direction, according to Jesus. The things that you treasure determine the orientation of your life and your heart. And so all of us know this to be true intuitively. If you sit back and you just think about what Jesus is saying, we, we know this to be true. Jesus says there's two ways that we can basically live. On the one hand, you can store up all your treasures on earth. You can live and invest your life in tangible, real things that are present here, that are earthly things, Jesus says. And if you do that, what's going to happen to your heart? Our hearts and our lives are going to be wrapped up in the things that are on this earth. Your heart is going to be pulled in that direction, and then you're going to be consumed with earthly things. Or, Jesus says, you could store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. By way of contrast, if you do that, you know what happens to your heart? Jesus would say your heart starts to become invested in the kingdom of God. Your heart begins to become wrapped up in who God is and what God is doing in the world and what God cares about. And you're going to be oriented toward the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, that's just plainly a better way to live. And just think about how fleeting and how temporary the things of this earth are. I'm not going to read all this, but I'll paraphrase it. If you want to look at it later in the Old Testament, in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 4, so you can give yourself a little homework challenge there, but in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, just paraphrasing, what we read is the author of Ecclesiastes says this. He says, I saw this guy, and he worked really hard, and he stored up all kinds of wealth. And then he died, and then guess what happened? All of that stuff that he had got passed off to someone else. Someone who did not work for it. Someone who did not know how to manage it. Someone who did not value it. Why? Because they did not have to work hard to get it. So it's like the old adage goes, we hear it all the time, you can't take it with you. The stuff that you tend to live for, the treasures of the earth that seems so present tense and so tangible, so real to us, they are so temporary. They are so fleeting. Jesus says you'd be so much better off storing up treasures in heaven to reorient yourself toward God and the value of his kingdom and his glory because your treasures orient your heart. Treasures orient your heart. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So we learn your treasures orient your heart, but then secondly, we learn that your treasures darken your eye. Your treasures darken your eye. Notice what Jesus says 
in verse 22. He says this, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So Jesus is speaking metaphorically here. He's obviously not talking about our physical eyes. He's talking about the eye of your heart, your discernment, your ability to see, your ability to understand and comprehend truth and reality. What Jesus is saying here is this, your treasures, my treasures, they darken our eyes. They hinder our ability to see things rightly. When you treasure, when you value the wrong things, that becomes a filter or a set of glasses through which you see reality. And what happens is that you begin to not only be able to see, uh, you begin to not be able to see and perceive and discern the thing that you're valuing. Think about it this way. On March 28, 2012, Air Force Captain Francis Imlay was flying his F-15 fighter jet back from a war exercise in the Middle Eastern desert. And as he descended into land and pitch darkness at a United States military base in Asia, he became disoriented. It was one of those nights where there was no visual horizon and it was pitch black. And so he began to look around for some sort of visual cue. And then finally spotting a radio tower in the distance, he adjusted his flight path accordingly. A few seconds later, his co-pilot abruptly took over the controls, rolled the plane into a hard left turn, and hit the eject button. And see, it turns out that Captain Imlay had been flying upside down at 400 miles an hour, 90 feet above the desert floor. He thought he was seeing rightly, but he wasn't. You see, treasuring the wrong things, valuing the wrong things, is a lot like flying upside down. You think that you see things accurately, when in reality, you're seeing them completely backwards. And we know this is how this works, because we get ourselves, we get our hearts and our lives invested into something, and then all of a sudden, it colors what we see. And it colors not only what we see, but how we see it. What we treasure has a way of darkening our eyes. Our treasures can keep us from perceiving reality rightly. And so it matters greatly whether we esteem and treasure and value the right things because our treasures can darken our eyes. Your treasures can orient your heart. Your treasures can darken your eye. But then finally, we see your treasures demand your worship. Notice what Jesus says in verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Some of your Bibles, instead of the word money, it might use the word mammon, which is an interesting word. Uh, but if you're using a King James version of the Bible, it probably uses the word mammon. The reason some of your Bibles leave it as that word mammon is because in the Gospel of Matthew, the author Matthew Right, who's writing this gospel in the Greek language, at this point he borrows an Aramaic word, mammon. He leaves it in the Aramaic. And so instead of translating that, that word, uh, what that word would be in the Greek, he just lets it stand in its Semitic language. 
And so a lot of Bible commentators will actually uh, wrestle with, why does he do this? Why does he leave this word mammon here? And the reason is because mammon was the name of a pagan god. Mammon was the name of a pagan god, so most commentators think that what Matthew is trying to do here is highlight the almost supernatural power that money has. Money is mysteriously corrupting, isn't it? It has this supernatural, almost demonic edge to it. Uh, We'll either use God to serve money, or we'll use money to serve God. Those are the only two ways that it can go. Jesus says you cannot serve both. One of them is going to be your master, and the other one is going to be used in service of that master. And so you're either going to use God to serve money, or you're going to use money to serve God. And one of them is going to be ultimate. I mean, that's a powerful statement that Jesus is making here. And it makes us want to ask the question, how would I know? How would I, like, practically speaking, how would I know if I'm serving money? I think that's an important question for us to consider this morning, because it's true that I can't serve both God and money. So if that is true, then how would I know if I am serving money? So what I want to do is I want to give us four questions to help discern that. I thought that these were really helpful for me. Maybe it'll be helpful for you too. Four indicators that you might be serving money. Here's the first one. Is money the primary filter for your decision making? Is money the primary filter for your decision making? Not is it a filter, but is it the primary filter? In other words, do you decide what to do based primarily on the financial implication? I mean, because for all of us, money is a consideration. It's part of our lives. But money has a way of being the primary criteria for our decision-making in a way that is so subtle that we sometimes don't even catch it. It's, it's, it's the primary criteria for our decision-making that sometimes it's so subtle we don't even see it. Here's the second one. I'm going to go through these rather quickly. The second one is this, is money the primary cause for stress or anxiety in your life? Is this what you fret about? Is this what keeps you up at night? Is money and material things, paying the bills, is that stuff just angst and anxiety producing, stress producing for you? If so, it could indicate that you are serving money in an unhealthy way. Number three is this, do you find it hard to give generously? Do you find it hard to give generously when there comes a chance to bless someone or to do something that God is doing, to be generous? Do you find it hard to do that? Do you find yourself kind of calculating, like, what is this going to cost me? And then here's the last one. Here's one we don't really want to talk about, but we have to talk about it. Do you have consumer debt? Do you have consumer debt, credit card or lines of credit, that kind of stuff? Uh, There is some debt that is good more of an investment debt, something that's going to produce long-term results, whether that be real estate or starting a business, et cetera. But, but credit card debt, when we're borrowing someone else's money to pay for stuff that we can't afford, and then we're going to pay that back at 21, 22, 25% interest, that's just a bad deal all around, right? We can become a slave to that payment. In fact, that's actually what the Bible says in the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs tells us that the borrower becomes slave to the lender. And so anytime we borrow money, we're on the hook to somebody else. We become a slave to that payment and that we have to make to get that that monkey off of our backs. So do we have 
consumer debt? And if so, it could indicate that there's an unhealthy tendency in our lives to serve money. Our treasures, what we value, demand our worship. I mean, can't you see how subtly this works? We can see the nuances of Jesus's language here because he's not saying, you know, hey, you woke up this morning and you said, instead of worshiping God today, I'm going to worship mammon, right? That's usually not how this works. Uh, no one makes that rational decision because that's not how this works. Rather, what happens is that we make some bad decisions here and there. And you buy something with money that you don't really have. Uh, you listen to the prevailing cultural wisdom on how to orient your spending. And the next thing you know, that thing has turned over on you. And so instead of your money serving you, you're now serving your money. It becomes your master. And it's so subtle and so sinister. And so Jesus shows us that your treasures orient your heart. They darken your eye. They demand your worship. And so Jesus says that we need to be wise. What we need to do is to just step back and evaluate where is our treasure? What are we serving? So what can we do in light of all this? What do you, what do, you do with a message like this? What's the takeaway? How can we be free from the tyranny of money and possessions and stuff? I think there's two things that Jesus is offering us here on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, two aspects of how Jesus frees us from the tyranny of money and possessions. And the first one is this. We just need to realize. And that might sound pretty like obvious, like duh, but just hear me out here. Just realize part of what Jesus is doing here is he's offering us insight. He's speaking truth into our situation. He's offering us wisdom. So part of what we do is simply realize the immense helpfulness and the truthfulness of what Jesus is saying, realize the power that your possessions have over you, have over me. Realize the subtle influence that money has in our lives. We just need to step back from paying the bills, going to work, all the obligations that we have, and just step back and assess the power that money has over our lives and realize how weak and how fleeting and temporary our earthly treasures really are ask ourselves, like, how long is that thing going to last that you just bought? Jesus says we need to realize how temporary and fleeting all of this really is. And we need to realize how treasures rust. They fall apart or they get stolen. It's just not worth living for this stuff. And then realize how they deaden our hearts towards God, how they can make our hearts compete with God for allegiance and for faithfulness how money can become a subtle master even when you don't intend it to be. And then realize how fleeting these things are in comparison to the eternal value of sharing, of having God as our treasure, of living for his kingdom, of investing our lives and our resources into what he is doing. So that's the first thing. We just need to simply realize coming to grips with the insight and the wisdom that Jesus is offering to us. But then realization always moves us to the second point, which is to repent. So what does the word repent mean? What does it actually mean? Well, it's a reorientation. It's turning from where I'm going, and it's turning back to God. That's repentance. That's what repentance is. Here's the mistake that we often make with repentance. We have the sense that repentance is something in internal, like something abstract, 
And we think it really comes down to learning and believing and knowing different things. And there's certainly an idea component to repentance. But remember what Jesus says in verse 21. He didn't say, get your heart right, and that'll solve everything. What he said is this in verse 21 again. You're where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the point that Jesus is making here is, is simply this. If you're going to repent, if you're going to stop making money your God, if you're going to stop living for the things of this earth, part of how you do that is to start doing something different with your money tomorrow. Can't you see how practical Jesus' words are here? It's not just about a shift in your heart. It's about a shift in what you do with your treasure that accompanies and, in fact, actually pulls your heart towards a new orientation. And so let me try to be as practical as I know how to be with this because I don't want us to walk out of here this morning thinking to ourselves, like, wow, isn't that great that Jesus said all these neat things about money, right? I'm going to go home and watch the Cleveland Browns and the Baltimore Ravens now. But rather walk out saying, wow, this is what repentance might actually look like for me. Think about it this way. Our culture is always trying to get us to spend money. And why is that? Well, it's because it begins to pull you in. See, Jesus understands that. Jesus is saying where your treasure is, your heart will be also. So let me try to give you three practical, tangible steps of what repentance might look like within this context. So number one is this, tithing. What is tithing? Well, it's an Old Testament practice that carries over the New Testament. It's a setting aside a portion of your income, and it's saying, before I do anything else, before I do anything else with my money, I'm giving it to the Lord. I'm investing in His work, in His church, in His kingdom, and in His mission. It's this discipline of setting aside the, the first fruits, that's what they call it in the Old Testament, the first fruits of your income. First fruits, the first 10% is going to go to God. And why is that? Why? Does that make you a more spiritual person? Does that earn you favor with God? Does that make you a better Christian? No, no, no. We know because of what Jesus already said in the Sermon on the Mount that you can do that with the wrong heart. You can do that exact thing with the wrong motives, with no spiritual benefit at all. So what is tithing? It's a discipline that says, I'm going to choose with my money to put God first. Whether I feel like God is first or not, I am setting up a discipline in my life that says God is first. Now, why would I do that? Well, because I want my heart to begin to get oriented. And as soon as I have to figure out how to live on 90% of what I am making, that is going to force some good decisions in the future, right? It's a discipline that begins to reorient your heart, to reorient your life. Here's the second one, generosity. And I'm not talking about tithing in a sense of giving to the Lord's work. I'm talking about the whole idea of being generous with what you have, your stuff, your possessions. This might be loaning your neighbor your leaf blower or your snow blower. Having people over to spill stuff on your carpet, right? And then hiring somebody to come and clean it up. It's the idea of being open-handed and generous with what you have and what God has given you. Your tangible, physical possessions. And hear me out. This is a discipline. Uh, nobody just wakes up and decides to be generous, right? You choose 
you have to choose to be generous. You choose to say, you know what? If I lend this thing out to somebody, it's, it might get broken. It might. But I'm going to take that risk. If I have these people over, they might spill stuff on my couch. But I'm going to have to take that risk. Generosity is what we're called to. Finally, the last tangible step of repentance within the scope of what we're talking about is saving. Saving. Uh, just spending less than what you make. How countercultural is that? Right? The government doesn't even do that. That's completely foreign to the whole world that we live in. You mean living on less than I make? Like, yep. Wouldn't that be a refreshing discipline? What if you spent less than what you make for a really long time? What would happen? You'd actually become wealthy in the right way, right? You would have positive assets to your name instead of debt, and that would be a really great thing. These three steps, they're really just three ways of orienting our hearts toward God and truly living as though God is our treasure. Because here's what I know about you, and here's what I know about myself to be true. No matter what we say here this morning, no matter how moved we are by the Holy Spirit this morning, no matter how much we feel this morning like God is our treasure, what happens when we go home this week and we have to pay the bills? In that moment, it's the hardest thing, right? It's hard, it's hard to rest, not the hardest thing, but it's hard to, to rest in God being your treasure, right? Because you still owe someone some money. These are three tangible practical ways of basically saying this, in a disciplined way, with what I do, I'm going to put God first tangibly, and I'm going to worship God actively. And in doing those things, my heart is going to be pulled into more and more of his kingdom. So Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So we just have to take Jesus's word for it here. You know what will start to happen if you begin tithing? you'll get a lot more interested in what God is doing. You know why that is? Because you're invested. You're invested in it. All of a sudden, it matters whether the missionaries that we support are doing a good job or not, right? Or whether they're well-supported or whether they have everything that they need, right? Because you're invested into it. Our church here in Rittman, our local church here, all of a sudden, we care about the health of our church. Why? Because you're invested into it, right? It has a way of forming your heart. And then listen, of course, it's possible to do all of these practical things that we're talking about without really embracing Jesus Christ as your greatest treasure, right? It is possible to do all these things without resting in and embracing Jesus as your highest treasure. And if you do that, then you're going to miss the whole point. Why are we a generous people? Why do God's people live generously? Why is Jesus saying, listen, store up your treasures in heaven? What makes that work? What motivates that? What empowers that? Here it is, ready? It's because Jesus, it's because God first was generous with us. God was first generous with us. God has given us the gift of himself through his son, Jesus Christ. We give because he first gave to us. We are generous because he was first generous with us. We don't give so that we can get something from God. We give because we have God as our treasure. That's 
the starting point. That's the first and most important thing. This is the gospel of grace. The gospel of grace is that God doesn't owe you something. You didn't work hard to get God in your debt so that he has to give you his son. You and I, you know what we are? You're a beggar, and God graciously and generously and selflessly gave you himself. And then when you recognize that you received that, the most generous, the most amazing, the most gracious gift, when you rest in God's generosity towards you, it begins to melt your desire to be a consumer. And your desire to grab and to hold and to take and to store up because you realize that that's contrary to the nature of God. God is not a taker. God is a giver. God is generous and God is gracious. And so the first step for us this morning to become a more generous people is not to save, it's not to give, it's not to be generous. The first step is to rest in the treasure that God has given us in Christ and to receive from him his gracious generosity. And then in doing so, we become a more generous people. So why don't we bow our heads in a word of prayer and ask God that he would do that in us. Well, Jesus, we thank you that you offer to us this insight in your word. Anytime we look at what you have to say about money, it always challenges us. It always convicts us. It always causes us to ask a lot of hard questions, to, to wrestle the hard questions to the ground. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that as a wise and master uh, teacher that you are, Jesus, that you encourage us to step back and reflect on the incredible temporariness of so many of the things that we chase after in this world. Lord, just ask that you would cultivate in us this morning a spirit of generosity. Lord, I ask that you would motivate us to do the hard work. Um, for example, whether that's paying off debt, whether that's being more generous, whatever practical work that that looks like for us to do. Uh, more than anything, God, though, more than anything, um, give us more of yourself, Jesus. Give us more of yourself. Help us to come empty and open-handed, receiving the generous gift of your Son once again. Pray this in his name. Amen. Our church's mission is to follow God, share his truth, and be examples of the love of Jesus to all. If you would like to know more about us, you can visit our website at www.rittmangrace.org or drop by anytime for one of our in-person Sunday morning worship services. Once again, thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time for another episode of the Rittman Grace Podcast.